0: Tonight, on the Tuesday night movie, she was a filmmaker, he was a writer. She lived in Indiana, he lived in Queens. But their fates were bound together by a terrifying secret they both loved made for TV movies. Based on the shocking true story, Katie Madonna Lee and Louis Jordan star in Mother. Murderer Podcaster. Hi, this is Mother Murderer Podcaster, the show about the most outrageous and the best made for TV movies of the 80s and 90s. I'm Lewis Jordan, a writer.
1: Usually, the other host would be Katie Madonna Lee, a filmmaker. <laughs> But she died of a mysterious blood disease earlier today. I'm Sadie, Katie's identical twin sister from Texas. I'm so pleased to meet you. What did you say your name was? Lewis?
0: (laughs) Katie, I know that that's you. You're just wearing a wig. (laughs) Oh,
1: People mistake me for my identical twin all the time.
0: Okay, whatever you say. Uh, So (laughs) this week, we are covering one of the classics of 90s TV movies, which is also the namesake of this podcast. The time has come for the 1991 ABC made-for-TV movie, Wife, mother, murderer, starring the magnificent and the iconic Judith Light of Who's the Boss and Transparent Fame. Uh, Judith Light was the undisputed queen of 80s shoulder pads, (laughs) and she was also a queen of 90s TV movies, and this movie is based on the real-life story of Audrey Marie Hilly, who uh, poisoned her husband and tried to poison her daughter and a whole bunch of other people, which would be enough to justify a TV movie. But Marie's story goes off the rails. This is probably the most bizarre true crime case that I've ever heard of. Um, It's like she knew that it was going to be a TV movie, and then she just gives us plot twist after plot twist. Um, this movie is so much fun after all out of all the TV movies that we've watched so far. I think that this is the one I would be most likely to put on for a room full of drunk gay men. Uh, so I'm going to summarize the plot and you're going to think that I'm making it up, but I promise you they actually left stuff out of the movie. That's how bananas the story is. So, So the film opens in Alabama And Audrey Marie Hilly, who's an attractive, well-dressed, and well-mannered Southern lady with an impressive helmet of hair, is caring for her sick husband, Frank, in their suburban home. And they live with their daughter, Carol, who's a tomboyish teenager. Marie takes Frank to the doctor, but no one can figure out what's wrong with him. And one night, he wanders out onto the lawn confused and babbling nonsense and not long after he dies and the cause of death is listed as hepatitis. Marie grew up poor, but she wanted to live like the rich people in her town who lived up on the hill. She married Frank while she was still in high school. And even though she lived comfortably with him, it wasn't enough. She felt like she was held back by her husband and her family and should have been a rich man's wife. So Marie gets a job as a secretary and immediately starts an affair with her boss. And she begins to get mysterious phone calls. And after a mysterious fire breaks out in her house, Marie moves into a new house with Carol. And using her husband's $30,000 life insurance policy, she buys fancy dresses and shoes and furniture. And it turns out that Marie owes a lot of people money and she wants a new car. So she gets her daughter to help her torch the old car to collect the insurance money. So pretty soon Marie has burned through all of the life insurance money and she's bouncing checks all over town. She needs money fast. Suddenly, Carol gets very sick and is rushed to the hospital, just like her father. And the cause is mysterious. So Marie cares for Carol. She takes her to various hospitals, and she starts to give Carol injections at home, which she claims are supposed to help, but Carol just gets sicker. One day, at the hospital, Marie is arrested for writing bad checks, And at the same time, a doctor notices white lines on Carol's fingernails, a telltale sign of arsenic poisoning. It turns out that Marie took out a life insurance policy on her husband and then poisoned his food with arsenic. And unless you're testing specifically for arsenic, you can't detect it. It's flavorless, and its effects mirror a number of other more common conditions. And after she killed her husband, she took out a life insurance policy on her daughter and was trying to kill her to collect more money. So Marie is charged with murder and attempted murder, but during her trial, the boss that she'd been stupping bails her out of jail and she disappears. And then Marie reappears in Florida, going by the name Robbie Hannon. And she's on the hunt for a husband. And she meets a uh, Recently divorced John Homan. So, John is a pushover for Robbie, and they get married and they move to New Hampshire. But whether she's Marie or Robbie, she's still the same person, and she starts spending money on things that she can't afford. So, Robbie gets a job at a factory. But after a while, there's a problem with the fake social security number that Robbie gave and she needs to change identities again. So Robbie suddenly announces that she has a rare blood disease, and she has to go to Texas to see a specialist, and she's going to stay with her identical twin sister, Terry, who she's never mentioned before, and she won't let her husband go with her. So then John gets a call from Texas, and it's Terry who tells him that Robbie died during the night. And Terry is going to fly to New Hampshire to be with John during their grief. And so then Marie shows up at the airport as Terry with a blonde bubble hairdo and a bubbly personality. And John is the world's easiest mark, so he believes it. And pretty soon, Terry has fallen in love with John. And of course, John falls for her too. But when Terry visits her old job at the factory, one of her coworkers knows that it, that's Robbie with a dye job in the bedazzled denim pantsuit. Um, so the coworker does some research and finds that nothing about Terry's story adds up. And she calls the police who get Terry to admit that her real name is Audrey Marie Hilly. They want to check on her name and they find out that she's been charged with murder in Alabama. So Marie's going to jail. Now, you would think this would be the end of the movie, but John visits Marie in jail, and against all logic, he forgives her. He believes that she's innocent, and he decides he's going to stand by her. So Carol testifies against her mother, and Marie's found guilty and sentenced to life in prison in Anniston, Alabama, her hometown, and she's a model prisoner. But after a few years, then she gets visiting privileges with her husband, John. And after she meets John in a motel, then Marie makes a run for it. And the police search and they can't find her. But a few days later, Marie shows up at the door of her childhood home. And the usually neat and pretty Marie looks unrecognizable after living in the woods for several days in the cold and pouring rain. Uh, Marie collapses from hypothermia and she dies of a heart attack. And Marie, who wanted so badly to escape the poverty that she grew up in and live in the luxury that she felt that she deserved, ultimately died in degradation and filth in the very place that she'd been trying to escape. It's poetic justice. Uh... (laughs) Oh, hi, Katie.
1: (sighs) Oh, I'm back. It's me, Katie. And I didn't die from a blood disease. My identical twin, Sadie, put rat poison in my coffee. I recovered.
0: Oh, my God.
1: Well, while you were distracting her with your plot summary, the police surrounded her. There was a shootout, and she yelled, You'll never take me alive! (laughs) And ran out into a hail of bullets. You didn't see any of that?
0: No, I was reading the summary.
1: Oh, well, it was very dramatic. Anyway, I'm here.
0: Well, how do I know that it's really you and not an imposter? I'll have to ask you something that only Katie would know. Katie, what is the best outfit that Judith Light wears in Wife Mother Murderer?
1: That's a trick question. It is a tie between her stonewashed denim jumpsuit with rhinestones and shoulder pads and her peach-colored jumpsuit with rhinestones and shoulder pads.
0: That is the correct answer. Hi, Katie. It's good to have you back. Woo! <laughs> yeah. So, these outfits, Judith Light's outfits in this movie, we must...
1: So because... <laughs>
0: They're to die for. And they only get more intense as she gets crazier. The outfits get crazier and bigger and the hair gets bigger. And like you said, I think it, it, the jumpsuits are like the pinnacle. They're the pinnacle because that's her Terry outfit. So they're the pinnacle of the craziness and the pinnacle of the fashion.
1: And I have looked for rhinestone jumpsuits, denim jumpsuits like that my whole life. And one time I think I was, <laughs> I was at some like store many years ago and I found, I have it still, but see, it, it was an eighties jumpsuit, so it didn't fit me. And it was, it was a denim jumpsuit, it wasn't rhinestone, but, um, I, I still have it, but I put it on and I sat down and the butt ripped open <laughs> Uh. classic 80s nothing fit women normally like 80s clothings were so unforgivable to women with butts and and hips and any sort of figure so that's the closest I ever got to but it had the same color and I remember because when I bought it Uh. I was like this is like Judith Light and mother murderer podcast podcaster wife mother murderer murderer. (laughs) (laughs) when she walks in his terry and I'm like (gasps) oh I want that outfit. I thought they, at first I was like, oh, they're all turning because they're like, wow, look at that awesome jumpsuit. (laughs) She looks fabulous.
0: It's such a scream. She comes in with this blonde wig, like Audrey from Little Shop of Horrors. Yeah. Like, hello, Mr. Mushnick. (laughs) It's, It's incredible. It's so funny because, like, if you see pictures of the real audrey marie hilly she does not look like a drag queen going to a baptist church but um uh, judith light does um she and 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 you can tell because like all of the other people in the movie look all the other women look like regular women yeah and then there's marie oh with her looks yes and that sets the tone, the outfits in this. Oh, there's another great one. It's a sort of purple dress with all of these light purple lines over it that kind of look like a spider's web. Like she's a black widow with a web drawing men into it. Um,
1: oh, and I have to say that moment where they're in the ho- the motel and it it's like the saddest moment. <laughs> It's the saddest moment outfit wise. So when she's in the motel and she has that raincoat and her hair and it's at, it's towards she's
0: visiting from uh from prison. It's when she, yeah. When she got the uh, permission to visit her husband from prison.
1: And it's, it's very clear. She's been unmasked. Like she, she carries herself in this very sad way. It's like the sad, it's like really the saddest moment to me i'm like wow that really hits home (laughs) she's wearing these awful clothes she looks horrible she looks really sad i know
0: we don't really feel sad about the husband because we didn't get to know him beforehand that's one of the things we don't we don't really get to know any of the other characters like that well yeah so we don't really care i mean carol carol's very nice but um Yeah, with with Judith Light as uh, as Marie, I think the thing that she really got was that she is performing Marie performing, you know, and she she plays Marie like a person who's constantly acting and she's performing these like class signifiers. She's like a genteel Southern lady and she has the right accent and the right hair and the right clothes and, um, which throws people off the scent and, uh, makes people not suspect her. But then the way that it's done, it's like, it's a little bit too much. It's a little bit too much of a performance. Her clothes are a little too flashy. Her hair is a little too big. Um, she's trying too hard. And so, I think that's why, like, some people don't fall for it. Some people do, but some don't. And it's not quite enough to, like, get her a rich husband. Yeah. You know? yeah. They can, kind of, like, they can kind of see it. They're like, oh, there's something a little off there. And, and then also it's like she's living in this kind of fantasy, this soap opera fantasy in her head. She wants this over-the-top kind of life, and so she makes this over-the-top look. I I didn't think that it was at all accidental that she's a little bit drag queeny. I thought that that was like a distinct choice that Judith Light made, and it was smart.
1: And this is what was interesting when you just said that statement about she's someone who is she's performing as someone who is performing, and I immediately thought of showgirls because Uh, (laughs) yes. To me, the reason why I think Showgirls is such an amazing film, and people are like, oh, it's so. And I'm like, no, especially in this day and age, where if you've ever been to Hollywood or if you've ever been around people who are club kids or in any sort of fame driven or attention seeking world, you'll know that people that haven't really worked or or been in in the performing arts but but kind of think they're in a movie they live like they're in a movie they act like no mean showgirls like they act like that Mm -hmm. like i'm always on camera i'm always performing look at me i'm in a music video that's why i dance so hard and uh uh." i've met and interacted with those people a lot and uh Mm -hmm. i think to me i can watch this movie anytime it's fun
0: it is, and it that is that's something that I found really interesting about this uh, this movie is that this is an incredibly dark story, but it's such a, a light movie um, because if you look at the way that Marie is, um, I mean, she's a sociopath. Um, mm-hmm. She's able to stroke her sick daughter's hair and then say oh let me give you an injection to help let me feed you some baby food because you can't eat anything else and the baby food has rat poison in it i mean she is like nothing inside except the stuff that she wants which is money and and prestige and class and this sort of fantasy of wealth and clen- cleanliness and, and beauty. If we had an entirely accurate portrait of a sociopath like that, this would be a very rough film to take, but instead it plays on this other aspect of the story, which is the oh my god she didn't oh my god wait no no and then no what and that is the part that it plays on instead is just like the ratcheting up the insanity to 10 11 15 55 and that's where this movie gets its engine from, I think.
1: Well, that was interesting because remember when I was telling you about this uh, film, I was like, uh, okay, well, so she's married to her husband for like 20 years. And then out of the blue, she decides, you know, she, she poisons him. And then mm-hmm. she poisons her daughter And then I was like, she flees and she goes undercover as this woman named Robbie meets this guy. And then I'm like, and then she fakes her death and comes back as her identical twin sister (laughs) named Terry. You were like, what? I was like, yeah. uh, Yeah. Yeah.
0: Because like the audacity, like the... (laughs) The cojones, to think that you can get away with that, to think that you can get away with all of that. And uh, later on, I want to go over, like, the real Audrey Marie Hilly and some of the stuff that she did that they didn't put in the movie. And she, in real life, she had even more guts. You know, just she didn't care. She did not give a fuck.
1: Well, RuPaul's Drag Race are always like, we're looking for, you know... and nerve you know they're always like do you have the nerve and i'm like (laughs) the nerve i'm like well on a scale of audrey marie hilly what nerve are you looking for (laughs) because there's a lot of there's a lot of do you have the nerve there
0: yes oh my god and she's such an operator too like the way that she talks to men Mm. And the way that she talks to her 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 husband, her husbands, just giving them exactly what they what they are expecting, talking to them kind of like they're their babies or little boys, always analyzing a situation and using it and creating a narrative. it just seems exhausting. She must have been so smart. To just be constantly analyzing every situation and and then making shit up because that just seems that seems like a lot to me,
1: well yeah and I, I mean it's because we we have a lot going on in our lives that we've dedicated our time to so but if 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 <laughs> yes. if we didn't and this was our I think didn't you say someone was like she should have just been a romance novelist, it's like yeah. That's why it's important to give careers to women.
0: Yeah. It's, you know? It's true.
1: Otherwise, they'll kill you.
0: Yeah, yeah. And and it is that where it's like, just the the narratives that she came up with were so melodrama, romance novel. Yeah. And apparently, they didn't show it in the movie, but apparently she read a lot and uh, was obsessed with those sorts of, of books, kind of romance novels and melodramas and things like that. And I think that she really saw herself, she wanted to make her life that way. And, and it's funny because it's like she wanted to be this tragic heroine who's like, my husband is dying. So then she kills her husband. She, like, slowly kills him so she can go around saying, my husband's dying and creating these things. And it's like she can block, she can somehow block that out and forget that her husband's dying because she's doing it to him and then just enjoy all the attention or or set fire to her house and then be like, someone's trying to kill me. And... (laughs)
1: I, yeah. I I have no words other yeah. than, oh, my God. It's, I mean, what
0: it's amazing.
1: I do think she would have been very successful in show business. Yes. I I feel like her true calling would have been to be like to go out to L.A. and be a <laughs> television writer. She could like because she was like, a, what did they describe her as? Like uh, she was described as a uh, not a girl's girl. Like she, you know, she did not get along with other women and kind of snuffed them out in a way to get the male approval. I think she would have done well in 80s Hollywood.
0: She slept with her bosses.
1: (laughs) Or corporate America. Or or even, you know what, she would have done really well at the local, like, Walmart or any food chain. She would have been, you know, assistant manager in no time. And have all the best hours and best shifts. Because
0: she did work. But it seems like she changed jobs very frequently, I think, because ultimately she didn't actually want to be working those jobs. She wanted to be a a rich wife tending to her garden and just buying things all day.
1: That sounds awesome, though. But I'm not going to kill anybody.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) um, I guess she's really, the movie's really about her uh, and Carol a little bit, her daughter, and this sort of relationship between them. Kelly Overbay, she's the one who plays Carol. That's really the other standout performance in this. She doesn't really get a lot to do. She's just so, she's very sweet and natural and sympathetic. And so it keeps us from from sympathizing too much with marie because we could be like yeah marie like get him but carol's so sweet and there's that that scene with the prom dresses where she's like drowning in that prom dress um and marie's just looking at her like i'm never gonna make her into a little me she's expendable uh.
1: Oh, and even, okay, so one of the things you, you they established right away is the, the disdain that Audrey has for her daughter's, like, you know, appearance in the opening after she, they go to the doctor and outside there's um, Carol uh, is talking to her friend who's well-dressed and, you know, Carol's like more dressed down and uh, Audrey's like, Oh, you look so nice, you know, to her to Carol's friend and and what, you know, mm-hmm. why don't passive aggressive that thing that passive aggressive women do? Oh, I wish if you just you know, would try, you could look as nice as her. I wish you didn't, you know, said that right in front of her, Carol's friend, and Carol's friend's like, oh, okay, well, Bye, you know, and you could kind of tell that it establishes right on that dynamic between mother and daughter and kind of like that. Audrey openly expresses her kind of disdain for her, her daughter and the way she is and her appearance. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I may as well bring up one of the things, one of the big things that they did not mention in this TV movie, which of course they wouldn't in a a 1991 TV movie that, uh, Carol was lesbian. Well, yeah, good for her. And that she was having, uh, romances with other girls and her mother found out about it and was really angry about it. And, If you see Carol now, she's like a full-on butch, you know, short hair, like wearing flannel, a big fan of football. Indigo girls. Yeah, exactly. A classic lesbian. I
1: like those classic lesbians.
0: Yes. Um, And I think that that was really um, because another big thing that this movie left out is that Marie had a son named Mike. And, you know, they had Mike. And then Carol was born seven years after Mike. So she was an accident. And so I think Marie was already like, she didn't necessarily want her, she's getting in the way. Um, And then she want you know she has a girl and she can't dress her up and make her pretty and feminine this girl is nothing like her and then she finds out that she's a lesbian and that's just it um but she loved her son she was crazy about him so it it hints at that it's like got her and her best friend and they're always hanging out together and there's like a little bit of that but they don't they don't lean into it it's just a little a hint of lesbian yeah ism but
1: a hint of lesbian um, little hint of lesbian mm-hmm. for you
0: yes with a yeah a little of lesbian. <laughs> um but yeah no carol is a is an important part and um i think she's very good on the witness stand at the end they make her break down a lot there's that scene where they're like you have to testify against her and she's like but she's my mama
1: she's that <laughs> she's my mama
0: yeah, <laughs> and she sells it. God bless her. Oh, one I wanted you to talk about the uh, the score in this movie. Oh, uh,
1: I love this by, score
0: uh, by Mark Snow. Yes, who did the the X Files theme?
1: Yeah, this is one of my all time favorite TV movie scores, and from the opening, the, talk about a sophisticated score it is sublime they use a piano theme and it's very you know it's a minor key and it's very subtle but they they do an excellent job by establishing it right away and giving audrey marie her own theme and it's very sophisticated in a way, we haven't really seen in a TV movie thus far because the TV movies that we have covered on our channel—I'm not saying it hadn't exist because there were other TV mm. movies that had really good scores in the early '80s that we'll cover later on our channel—but yeah. this one particularly had a very thematic, sophisticated score.
0: It was lovely and uh, and and sort of melancholy, and uh, and it brought. sense of gravity and gave a feeling of stakes to it
1: yeah i definitely appreciated the opening where the the pianos because because they set the tone with how Eva was edited like you know she's getting ready and this thematic you know kind of like melancholy but also kind of is melancholy in a plotting way like uh in a mysterious way like who is this person what is what is making them tick and it plays over her getting ready and that establishes her theme and how she sees herself and they did such a good job of pairing those two together to establish every time you hear that she's plotting and it's kind of moving like a spider the way that the you know the spacing and the um the way they had the notes arranged and everything, time duration, was really good.
0: Yeah. And and that credit sequence is really interesting, too, just the visuals of it. Because she's getting ready for her husband's funeral. And she's sort of, like, admiring herself. And- yes, yes. And, and sort of like, ooh, ooh, hmm, hmm, you know. And just like, let me put my perfume on down here. Ooh. And <laughs> it's just, it's like, why is she acting like this? This is her husband's funeral.
1: Because it, it, by Judith Light's performance in that opening sequence, she doesn't look like she's, uh, it looks like she's getting ready to go on a date. It doesn't look like she's yeah. ready. She's going to a funeral.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like, the next thing that she does is go out, find a job, and then start having an affair with her boss. Yes. Who's, like, super gross, too. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, I think, yeah, the, the score in this is really strong. Just, I, I think, the, like, the filmmaking in this is is very strong. I think... The pacing of this movie is interesting because she's arrested for the first time and her daughter is diagnosed with arsenic poisoning like 35 minutes into the movie. And it's an hour and a half, you know, it's a 90 minute movie. So it really is going along at a lightning fast pace. And I think, I think that them removing some of the stuff that happened in, uh, in real life, was just so that they didn't have to turn this into a two-part mini series.
1: Exactly, so they
0: could keep it tight. Here, let me let me go through. I'm going to go through okay. here. So, first of all, the movie portrays Marie as having this deprived, grim kind of Joan Crawford childhood that she's trying to escape. And she didn't really, like her parents were mill workers, but apparently they spoiled her and they didn't deny her anything. And they worked long hours to make as much money as they could. And other relatives looked after her, you know, giving her this grim childhood kind of gives her a clear motivation that's recognizably human rather than just being a sociopath. And then when she met Frank, her first husband, she was 14 And he was 18. She married him when she was 16. And then they had Mike. Carol was born seven years later. Um, But Frank seemed to like her to kind of boss him around and spend his money. He he couldn't tell her no. And, And that seems to be like... That's how she chose husbands. Was like men who will not tell me no. And then her son Mike, he went to I guess seminary school and then after he left the the house started sort of falling apart and Frank had a drinking problem and Marie and Carol were fighting a lot because Carol was a lesbian and then there's this whole part that they didn't talk about where this neighborhood girl named Sonia who's a friend of Carol's died suddenly of a mysterious illness after spending time at the Hillies house over Christmas And it seems, with the circumstances, it seems like she might have been poisoned, but after Marie was found out, apparently they examined Sonia's body and there was no arsenic found in her system. So she genuinely died of some mysterious illness, but it was like that gave Marie an idea. She was like, oh, somebody can just die of a mysterious illness. And it's unexplained. Oh, Because after that, Marie was having an affair with her married boss. And then one day, Frank came home and found Marie in bed with her boss. And then not long after that, she started poisoning her husband. And then after her husband died, there's this whole thing where her son, Mike, and her pregnant daughter-in-law, who is named Terry moved in with her after they got married to save money and then they were gonna move out and then she got mad that they were planning to leave she didn't want mike to go so then they they moved away and then she set fire to her own house so that she and carol had to move in with mike and terry while her house was being repaired then once that house had been repaired and they had to move back then she set a fire in mike and terry's apartment (laughs) So they had to move in with her. Jesus. And.
1: <laughs> Talk about being very indirect.
0: So then she was uh, reporting to the police all of these mysterious harassment, harassing phone calls and fires. So then some of the cops who were investigating these fires visited her house and she poisoned their coffee. <sighs> which they only realized later. They were like, oh, did you get kind of sick every time that you went and visit that hilly lady? Oh, I did too. Oh, it's because our coffee was poisoned. And then she started, um, uh, while Terry and Mike were still living with Marie, then Terry started getting sick. And, uh, you know, over this long period of time, just like with Carol, she was poisoning her. And finally they moved out and Terry survived but she had a miscarriage marie like killed her own grandchild yeah um terry was able she she got better and she had another child but then oh my god it doesn't even stop there so then after that she stole a credit card from mike and she maxed it out and put him on the hook for all of the debt and then mike confronted marie uh, for her to pay the credit card debt. So then she poisoned him. (laughs) And then he got really sick and he had to and he had to go back home and drop the subject. And (laughs) And then another thing to get um money together to pay some of these debts, um she contacted one of her bosses that she'd had an affair with and told him that she had cancer. And that she needed money for cancer treatments so that then he gave, would give her money so that she could, like, pay off her, her, her credit card bills. Jesus Christ. And I know. And then I guess Mike was the one who tipped off the police that he was like, all these people are getting sick. My wife got sick. Carol's sick. My father. He put the, it together and contacted the police and was like, I think she's been poisoning wow. people. I think that she poisoned my father you should check out his body and test it for arsenic like they found with my sister, because I think that she killed him too. Then also they got, were very indirect about this. It was not clear when she was Robbie, when she became Robbie, it wasn't clear what she was doing, but in real life, when she became Robbie, she started hooking and she met her second husband as a client and she told him that he was her first client ever, which was a lie, um, and that he could, like, save her. You know, he saved her from the life. It was that whole thing. But then with the the whole lesbian thing, at you know, after she'd been caught and everything, at the trial, one of the witnesses at, a tri- at the trial was a woman who was in jail with Marie in Vermont, who said that Marie had told her that she had tried to kill her daughter because her daughter is a lesbian. (laughs) And then other people testified that Marie, you know, they'd seen Marie being uh, homophobic. And then her son, Mike, said on the stand at her trial that when he spoke to Marie, which was the first time that he'd spoken to her in three years while she was in jail, the first question she asked him was, is Carol still a homosexual?
1: Oh, my. (laughs) God.
0: So can you imagine like because so we've been doing all these two-part miniseries. Can you imagine a two-part
1: this would be a three-part, a three-part minis mini-series?
0: Because but I think after a while it would just be so absurd. Because it would just be like, and then they're drinking a coffee. <laughs> and then there's and then there's threatening music in the background. <laughs> like you could really listen, you could really do like a drag show. You could. This. If you if you just made the hair like 20% bigger and you didn't even we wouldn't even have to change the wardrobe. You know, you could just have her being like, "But first, would you like some coffee?" Yeah. <laughs> <And then laughs> but what do you what do you think makes this movie so much fun
1: oh, judith lights performance and the clothes yeah i think because well the director establishes a really good sense of tone and the filmmaking is really tight um but it's not over overt like it's not like show girls where the lights are really bright and everything's really slick and everyone's really sexy and like it's uh Mm. you know everything's heightened it's just heightened enough like especially i love the scene where she's sitting you know she's (laughs) she's sitting and and all the women are like when she walks away and they're all like being mean girls are like i oh she's talking again and that girl's like i her and everyone turns on her like, mm. and then you know she's a, God. It's her Maggie. It's her identical twin. <laughs> like just the tone and that is really relatable. I I I honestly feel like they made the movie from the point of view of Maggie from beginning to to end. Like
0: for, for, for Maggie, Maggie is the
1: Maggie is the woman who doesn't buy her story is the HR lady from the get go. Mm -hmm. Who's like, I don't buy it. I don't trust her. I don't like her. But I feel like the kind of whole movie was almost as if Maggie was retelling it. Cause I had that skeptical point of view of here's this woman performing. Mm -hmm. And we know she's an imposter. Like we know she's not who she says she is. I think, personally, that's why it was fun.
0: Yeah. And and I think that, you know, that the movie being sort of based around, like, this shock of discovery, and and because they don't tip it off, you could make a very different movie where you know that she's poisoning them, and you see it, mm-hmm. and it would just be this horrible sort of character study of, sociopathy but instead it's like why are these people dying what's happening at a certain point because once she's injecting carol like if you don't guess that she's poisoning her then i don't you know it's very obvious at that point but it's all about it's that like no no what oh my god and that aspect of it just watching it get crazier and crazier I think was, uh, was the fun of it and that I want to show it to people so that I can watch them go, what? Oh my God. And gag and scream because I was, I was gagging and I was screaming like, so we've got that sort of distance from Marie and we can kind of enjoy her performance and just the over the topness. So then the whole thing is, it's just sort of fun. It's just, it's like, it's a who. It, it it feels like a friend telling you about about a true crime thing when a friend is like you'll never guess what happened yes and then she did this yes and then and you' what it, it that's how it feels it feels like somebody telling you this story that they just read in the newspaper yes
1: like the way they would talk about women in beauty shops when I was growing up they'd be like and yes then she did this. Which now, yeah, all true crime po- podcasters do. And then she did this.
0: Can you believe this? Yes. <laughs> Can you believe this? So I I not, not seen this movie before, but I am now, so I am proud to have our podcast named after this movie in a way. And uh, I feel like it's, this is this is one of the great uh, 90s TV movies, I think. Yes. Right? Would you agree? I
1: agree. This uh, M- Wife, Mother, Murderer, and Death of a Cheerleader are my two tops. I watch them, like, once a week. I, I put it on. It just, for some <laughs> reason, they just... My mom, w- I had Death of a Cheerleader on last night, and she was like, I don't like this, Stacey. She should die. I'm like, Mom! It's... <laughs> I'm like, no, it's completely one-sided. Mom. She's like, she's so mean. I don't like what you did to that girl. She shouldn't have read her diary.
0: (laughs) I mean, yes, it's true. But that's, you know, in a way, it's like we're looking at these movies critically, you know, and we're going in and being like, what are they saying? What are they not saying? But that's not the way I think that 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 TV movies are meant to be watched. TV movies are meant to be watched. They're you're supposed to kind of eat them whole. Yeah. You know, and just experience it. Yeah. I think that it's interesting and it's fun and it's kind of a sign of respect to those filmmakers to not necessarily just do that, but to look at it a little deeper and be and and give it that sort of critical gaze that people don't usually give them.
1: Yeah. I'll tell you, especially the TV movies that were made in the 80s and and early 90s were really well made, especially up against even your Netflix and Amazon Prime films today, because a lot of times the filmmaking looks good, but it's actually just really good post-production versus really Mm. good film production. Like they make the after effects look really good. They're really good at digitizing it and doing really oversaturated looks, but it's not necessarily well thought out or well made.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I thought then it jumped out to me, which a uh, monologue we should do for a Mary Catherine Gallagher monologue every episode we do a Mary Catherine Gallagher monologue, which is a tribute to uh, the SNL character played by the great Molly Shannon, who always recites TV movie monologues. And so, here I I found we we seem to have this dynamic going. Yes. Where where I play the the campy mother and you play the daughter. Yes, so. I love it. Okay, so. Um, My feelings would be best expressed in a monologue from the TV movie Wife, Mother, Murderer, starring Judith Light. Okay. Multiple Tony winner and Emmy winner Judith Light. Yes. Um, So Marie and Carol are in a car in the front and passenger seats. They pull up to a rundown shack. Marie is wearing a blue and green patterned dress with a matching green necklace and perfectly coiffed hair. Carol is wearing a flannel shirt with simple straight hair and no makeup.
1: Why do you always do this?
0: So you can see where I came from and appreciate where we're going.
1: Now you're going to drive up the hill to where you think you're going to belong.
0: Oh! Growing up here didn't stop me from being voted the prettiest girl in Anniston. All Calhoun County, for that matter. I think you should have a boyfriend by now.
1: I had one.
0: He wasn't good enough for you. You're a hilly. You can do better than Ronnie Hallman. You could do better than this. When I was your age...
1: You had dozens of boyfriends.
0: As a matter of fact, I did. I had my pick and choose. More than a few from up on the hill.
1: Why do you marry Daddy then?
0: Don't you get fresh with me. Your father was a wonderful man. Those times... Y'all didn't just cross, you know? It had always been them and us. And I could speak French, too. (sighs) Well, I guess we better be going. (laughs) Scene
1: i could not look at you because i wanted to laugh so hard i was like don't look just look away look away look away as they say in that song i wish my heart was in dixie the southern song and they're like look away look away just look away that's what i was doing
0: (laughs) yeah yeah and i was just i was doing um
1: it was uh, fantastic.
0: Blanche. I was doing Blanche from Golden Girls. Yes. <laughs> <sighs> I could speak French. Um, oh, Marie, 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 Marie. Okay, well, I ha- I have to say again, I highly recommend this movie. And if you're going to watch it, have some friends over, have some drinks, and. If you can beforehand, maybe take some egg cartons or some sort of heavy fabric and put it over the walls because you're probably going to be screaming and <laughs> upsetting your neighbors. This could going, be
1: the new Rocky rat! Horror Picture Show.
0: Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, totally. It yeah. Could just be- screaming back at it, you know, being like, don't eat that baby food. <laughs> There's rat poison in that baby food.
1: And People throwing rats at each other. I don't
0: know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, people coming to the theater with like great big bubble wigs.
1: Yeah, and every time when she changes her identity, you can change your wig. Then
0: you take off another. Oh my god! Oh, that would be wonderful. That that would be another thing—the drag number where you could have like a wig under a wig under a wig. Yeah,
1: that would Um, be so fun. I love it.
0: All right. I think that the, that's it. We've we've got it. Thank you so much for listening.
1: Rate us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, sub to our YouTube channel. Um, I've been posting um, old VHSs that have random things I found on them and TV movies that you all might enjoy. A lot of commercials from the 80s and 90s and 2000s. And follow us on Instagram, TikTok, at Mother Murderer Podcaster. I bid you a Judith Light day. Oh, yeah. Just before you guys go out for the holidays. hmm When you go out for holidays, be careful what you eat. That's like I say, you don't know if your in-laws are going to be poisoning you. <laughs> you this Thanksgiving.
0: hmm Yep. Be careful. You don't know what's in that turkey. <laughs> this Thanksgiving... Have somebody else try your food first. (laughs) See what happens. Thank you so much. Bye. We
1: love you. Bye.